those guys are like my brothers and they've watched me grow up and they've you know been through been with me through all the struggles and um, our employees are just as important as our family here. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Reba Guzman grew up in one of the most well-known apple-growing families in Washington State. And we catch up with her in the middle of her family's apple and cherry orchards in Brewster, Washington. It's a fifth-generation family operation. She hopes it continues many generations to come. And she shares what she does on a daily basis to sell apples all over the world, grown right here in Washington State. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. I'm Dylan Honkoop. Thank you for joining me as we continue on my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. You've been around farming your whole life. Yes, very much born into it. Yeah? Yeah. Talk about that. What what was growing up for you? Um, let's see. Growing up for me was small town. Um, we live in Brewster, Washington. So um, it's my mom's family's company. So um, she and my dad met in the orchard. Mm. Um, she, was, she was a nurse. So um, my aunt was actually the one out in the orchard working. And she and my mom were out there one day. And my dad was... Um, like a crew boss. He um, migrated from Mexico every year. Um, He started when he was 15. Wow. So uh, he came up and was working in Brewster, and my aunt thought my mom might like him. (laughs) And so she just happened to bring her um, to the orchard he was in. Surprise, surprise. Um, right, yeah. Did, did you, was your mom in on this, or was she just kind of doing this, like, blind setup thing? was definitely on the prowl i think and (laughs) so i think she was very open to be taken where there was some options (laughs) so um yeah they rolled up to the orchard and my dad was out there and he tells it something like a tall blonde got out of the truck and that was it and so that was kind of um where things started for them um and then yeah i came along soon after um but yeah so my um, I'm the youngest of five, and so um, all of my siblings work here. Um, my sister is the assistant for my uncle, who's the CEO. Um, my brothers, I have twin brothers. Um, Brian is the head of food safety, and then Jason is our head um, mechanic, our head diesel mechanic. So we're all back. Um, we grew up here in the orchards. Yeah. Uh, every summer, you work cherry harvest. Um, apple harvest was a little different. We were obviously in school, so it wasn't yeah. as... You know, you didn't have to be at work, but um, after practice or after school, there was usually something to go and do. Um, Apple harvest is quite busy, but it's not as intense as like cherries, right? No, not nearly as intense as cherries. Um, Apple harvest is kind of, it's not, I guess for me in sales, it's a little bit of a slow down, but um, not, not quite. I mean, you still have your ads to put together and, you know, there's a hype up for the start and school starting so you know you get those kind of inquiries and you gotta get your your business out there especially during harvest we're totally going to get into like how you sell fruit like how you make that because you're the person that makes the connection between the farm that's growing the fruit you're working for them but making that connection to the people who buy this and get it into the grocery store yes 
but we'll get to that first. Okay. We're still on the like how you grew up okay. in farming, right? So what were like what were your jobs when you were a kid? Um, you get to work in the orchard. Oh yeah, so we definitely we grew up in the orchards. Our parents would just at the time I thought I was working five six years old (laughs) i was the boss um i was telling them what to pick how to pick it (laughs) things of that nature when in reality my mom had left me out at the orchard to be babysat by a crew boss (laughs) because you know she had things she had to go and do um but i was really given orders and things like that but that was it four and five years old you know and um some of the things we did we worked every cherry harvest um you just do everything, whatever they need done. Um, I tried picking and failed. Um, I <laughs> Hard got, work, huh? I got fired pretty quickly. I picked <laughs> all of the wrong things. Um, the fruit that was too light, I was bruising it. Um, I dropped, I filled a bucket of cherries and dropped it. And that was a true disaster. Um, we did, we lugged buckets. That lasted all of five minutes before <laughs> I just could not. No, I just paid a kid to do it for me. (laughs) Yes, it takes a lot of muscle. It's it's a lot of physical work. Um, But we did loading areas where the fruit comes out and you tag it um, with a ticket that's the orchard location. We keep um, track of the bins for the warehouse, how many we picked that day. Um, And we we ran all of that. It's just pure organized chaos. Mm -hmm. Um, There were days where it was thousands of bins and you don't realize at the time that those bins turn to boxes and those boxes go to the stores and it's this huge volume. At the time, it's just, you know, a bin comes in, you tag it and it goes and yeah. you have to keep water on the fruit to keep it cold. Um, we have a very sophisticated um, cooling process that mm. we've implemented and it starts in the orchard. Mm. Um, so you start cooling the fruit right away, especially cherries. Um, and then it's kept cold like a cold chain all the way through to the store. Um, Mm. And so. But not too cold, probably. Right, no. Like get it into that probably what, like upper 30s, lower Um, 40s? We keep it at 33 degrees. 33. So you were like right on the edge. Right on the money. I suppose there's sugar in the fruit, so it probably doesn't freeze at 32. So it does not freeze solid, no. But if you start getting there, like things split and you can ruin have a a truck full of mush. Yes. Right? Yep. You have to be very careful. Cherries are very temperamental. Where do your cherries all go to? Oh my goodness, that's um, that's a good question. They go everywhere, um, all over the U.S. Um, all major retailers. Um, you can find them all over the world: hmm. Asia, Southeast Asia, Europe, uh, Mexico. Yep, we get we get them as as far as we can. Um, it's it's pretty neat. I sell uh, into the Dominican Republic, mm. and I got to go down there and meet my customer and to see our fruit, not only in a different country, but like thousands of miles away. It's a it's an incredible experience. Brings you very full circle yeah. uh, to see it growing in your basically in your backyard, uh, and then to watch it process through the warehouse, and then to sell it, and yeah. then go and see people buy it. It's pretty neat. It's a very neat experience. So what's, yeah, what's your day-to-day? Because, again, you're a salesperson. Right. And people might think, oh, salesperson, you know, it's like somebody in a store or a car salesman. It's a totally no. different ballgame, right? <laughs> yeah, it's very different. Uh, so I went, um, when I came home from college, It they put me through like a developmental program. Uh, my cousin runs our warehouse and he wanted me to start from the bottom and go all the way through and kind of see how I fit in and what I wanted to do. 
and I started in shipping and that was a really good start for me. You see um, where the fruit is going and you learn about packs and grades and things like that. And then from the shipping office, they moved me to the warehouse where um, I did a gamut of things, a little bit of HR, um, a little bit of grower accounting, very little, very little. I'm not an accountant by any means. Um, and then I did and a little me bit. Me either. <laughs> it's, they've got their work cut out yeah, for them. <laughs> I'm a words person, not a numbers person. Yes. Um, <laughs> and then I worked a little bit in production and that was where I got more familiar with our sales department. And as crazy as it sounds, I hadn't ever really paid attention to the sales office. Yeah. Um, they were like, I knew where it went and what they did very general but um at the warehouse you really work closely with the salesmen they tell you what they need and how they need it and when they need it and um at the warehouse it feels like you're just packing to make inventory but it doesn't work quite like that at all um some some places really box you in and they need a very specific size and a very specific grade and at the warehouse you feel like well you can send anybody anything but it's not like that at all at the sales office. Yeah. So day-to-day is very busy. Um, we do our own trucking. Well, we hire trucks to do our, our loads for us. So a lot of a lot of what I do is uh, organizing trucks and getting them the, to the right warehouse and um, kind of organizing that way. And then um, I talk to most of my customers every day. Um, when I first started, I thought it was like a very just cut and dry kind of relationship you know what do you need what's the price let me let me send that to you that that was it I didn't want to small talk I was too scared and what do you say to these people but I'm a very personable person so I, I connect or I want to connect to you and I end up telling them my whole life story because I can't help it um you know, it's not very often that the salesperson is also the grower. Yeah. And when you can tell your customer, this is my piece of fruit, this is my apple, I can't I can't just sell it to you for cheap because yeah. it's my livelihood and yeah. I have to put, you know, food yeah. on my table. And not just you, it's your whole family right. and there's a lot of history yes. and work. Yeah. And- um, we are fifth generation and so... Um, every Christmas, you know, they bring out your sales and how'd you do <laughs> when my Christmas presents depend on how I sold, <laughs> I'm going to sell as hard as I can. <laughs> but you know, you also have to be considerate of your customer and the market that they're in. And yeah. I deal primarily with food service and, um, that's going to schools mm. and I want my goal for food service is if a kid can see that apple at their school and then go to the store with their mom and recognize it and pick that out and bring it home, then, you know, I've done my job. Um, but it's pretty neat to um, sell into that that market. It's very um, very specific. It can be very frustrating at times. Yeah. Um, because it's more like government contracts in a lot of cases probably, it's, yeah, right? Yeah, it's pretty set in stone. They have a price that they need, and that's it. And if you can't make it, then you don't get that sale and you know that that can be discouraging it's um it's a very low rewarding (laughs) job but um you know this is this is my whole life and my family's life and I have I have huge goals for us and um I'm certainly not going to let anybody down and I want to do I want to know I'm doing my best every day for them um I think very big picture um yeah the day-to-day is busy and 
can be very frustrating at times. But big picture, we're going to be here for the long run. And I'm not working for myself. I'm working for my, my family and for um, the Lord. And I want to, you know, make sure I'm putting the best best foot forward. Back to, back to like your customers, which are people like they would be what would be called the middlemen in the food system, right? right. Yeah. They're wholesale buyers of this stuff that end up, you know, passing it on yeah. in one shape or form to retail or mm-hmm. schools like you right. like you work with. What are the kinds of things that they want? Like you yeah. talked about, it can be very specific. So yeah. with, let's just go with apples specifically, like mm-hmm. what are the different things that they could be looking for? Bigger, smaller, right. color, shape? What's all the... You know, when I first started with the food service, they all were very much the same. We want small sizes, you know, kid-friendly sizes, and they can't eat a huge... 72 softball size apple. I mean, a kid's yeah. not going to finish that. Yeah. Or um, even if they're for jails, you can't mm. send huge pieces of fruit because it can be used as a weapon. Oh, really? <laughs> That's what one guy told wow. me. And I was just like, wow, a weapon, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, but the, they, yeah, they have to be small sizes. Um, they don't have to be perfect. That's the nice thing is it doesn't have to be a perfect piece of fruit. It has to be a good piece of fruit. And I sell very confidently knowing that we have grown good fruit, um, solid fruit. And I don't have to worry, oh, this isn't going to make it. It's, you know, going to have issues at arrival. No, I know for certain that uh, my cousins have dialed in our CA storing abilities to store the fruit for the exact right amount of time. Uh, My uncle has grown our fruit to be picked at the peak time so that as it stores it matures nicely and well and my cousin johnny runs the fruit so that it's packed at the precise time you know you you have to store it and pack it all exact so that it it gets to the market well so much to it yeah it's it's very there's a science to it (laughs) it is cool though i mean and and this is probably why apples are like the quintessential fruit like if somebody's going to hold up a picture of fruit yeah or even if they're going to reference you know adam and eve like it's an apple yeah why well it it's something that is fresh fruit but can be stored and kept you know even pre-modern technology could be kept for quite a while but now with the way you guys are able to store it controlled environment it can be kept what a year yeah up to a year yep it's amazing Um, and it's still fresh fruit it's it's not frozen it's not processed it's that's the that's the key part is it is still fresh um my grandpa was one of the leading um innovators of ca story ca storage Mm -hmm. and he helped develop it and um brought it here and um without that i don't know i don't know how you would work things so what ca storage technically what is that how does that work ca storage is controlled atmosphere so you suck out the oxygen Mm. and the and the fruit releases um the natural ethanol and Mm. then you control that fascinating it is it very it really is quite fascinating to to learn about all that it makes sense right like they aren't they're pretty sealed yeah but not a hundred percent impervious i guess or yeah i mean if you put it in a fruit like a fruit bowl like bananas and apples that banana is going to ripen your apple very quickly because it releases the ethanol so much faster so the banana is having an effect on the apples that are next to it yeah same with like pears or peaches if you put um Hmm. pears in your fruit bowl with apples 
apples, they're going to ripen and be ready to eat a lot sooner. No kidding. I, I, I've always just thought about that having to do more with like sunlight exposure and temperature. Does that make a difference? On like if they're sitting on the counter in the sun versus in the shade or if they're warm or cold or. I don't know that specific, but. um, The secrets of apples. (laughs) I don't put my fruit bowl in the sun (laughs) just because there's flies. Yeah. (laughs) But um, no, I think that if I want, if I have hard pears, I put a banana in there and I know it's going to ripen or an avocado will ripen pretty quickly if you put it in with some fruit. Yeah. That's fascinating it. so it's actually like the you kind of have like a ca up. room in your fruit bowl <laughs> <laughs> awesome so harvest for apples is just kind of starting right now right yes yep we have um well early gala started in about mid-august hmm. um so we pick cherries and apples now at the same time wow. crazy when i was little there was never a thought in my mind that we'd be picking apples and cherries at the same time it's just amazing how things have advanced. Is that um, just because like galas, the variety are so much earlier or what? And yeah. you have probably other cherry cherry varieties yep. that are later and so they overlap? Yeah. So my uh, grandpa planted um, cherries in high elevation so they would be ready later. Mm. Um, high elevation allows us to pick uh, later into August. So um, we have those above Lake Chelan um, at about 3,000 feet, 2,700 feet, something like that. Crazy. And so we are able to pick much later into the, to the summer, which is very beneficial, especially for um, like that late market. Yeah, because people, I mean, I'd love to have fresh Washington cherries year-round, but yeah. it's just not going to no, happen. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be harvesting <laughs> them year-round. Absolutely not, I but can't that, handle that. <laughs> well, and that's something that consumers expect with a lot of things now. Yeah. And what they don't realize is, like, there's a season, like, if you look at a map, there's yeah. a season there and a season there, and then Southern Hemisphere, and, like, that's yeah, how they right. keep, you know, where their lettuce, their mm-hmm. different fruits are all... And so to get more of that market, you have to do it for a longer Longer amount of time during the harvest season. Yep. Yep. So we have those high elevation cherries that allow us to pick later. And then um, we used to get uh, cherries from Canada. Mm. And so we had a Canadian grower and I went and worked up on his farm uh, one summer. Wildest experience I've ever been through. They pick at night. So, yeah, I was just completely mind blown. I had heard about it, but. Why do they do it at night? It's cooler. Yeah. So it's much cooler at night, and then um, they wear headlamps so they can see the color. And I was just fascinated by it. I mean, I was exhausted. Yeah. You work a normal 6 a.m. to 7, and they start picking at 9 or 10 at night, and they just pick all night. Um, yeah, wow. and they're French-Canadian, so <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um, they were the funniest group of people, but, yeah, it was it was a blast up there, and just a whole different experience, a whole, you know, new learning. It was great. It was awesome. Stopping briefly to thank our sponsors, Washington Red Raspberries is supporting the podcast this half of, of the season. We thank them very much uh, for doing that as well as producing America's Raspberries. And uh, you can learn a lot more at redraspberry.org. Also, wadairy.org, Dairy Farmers of Washington. That's their homepage. Make sure to stop by there and, and check out what dairy farmers here in Washington State are doing to produce some of the best, healthiest, tastiest uh, milk and dairy products in the world. 
Uh, wadairy.org again is is their website and they support the podcast also want to remind you about the great washington shakeout that is coming up this month the 20th of october at 10 20 a.m so 10 20 on 10 20 uh it's a free event uh but schools are participating businesses can uh check in as well shakeout.org slash washington is the web page you can check that out for more information on what you can do for the great washington shakeout to be prepared in the case of an earthquake you know we've talked about that for so many years here in the pacific northwest the big one and what would it be like what would happen are you prepared do you know what you would do that's what the great washington shakeout is all about and again more details on how you can participate in this event and test your readiness and, and make sure you know what to do in the case of the big one or any earthquake that may come uh, our way here in the earthquake-prone Pacific Northwest. Shakeout.org, again, is the website, shakeout.org slash Washington. And uh, finally, also want to thank Mana Insurance Group here on the podcast for supporting what we do and sharing these stories. You can find them online at manainsurancegroup.com. They're all about planning ahead, just kind of like the Great Washington Shakeout, planning ahead so you have uh, something in place if and when things do go wrong on a variety of fronts, insuring your home, your auto, life insurance, they help you with your health insurance. They do so many different things. Again, manainsurancegroup.com. That's where I do my insurance stuff. And I know the guy went to high school with the guy that founded the company. Great guy. And I know a lot of the great people on his team as well. Now we go back to our conversation in Brewster, Washington with Reba Gooseman. So earlier you were talking about what you do selling fruit. And you said you're confident in it. You don't worry about it. You know that your family and all the different family members, like you described, all the different aspects of this whole operation... Uh, expand on that more though like what what is it that you know is like how are you so confident it's why do you trust that they are doing such a good job what's the spirit behind it yeah I would say the spirit behind my family and what we do it started 150 years ago with my great grandma Mm. um she well with the great great (laughs) yeah um but yeah we're fifth generation and so my great 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 Grandpa uh, came from Nova Scotia with uh, an apple seed in his backpack and just planted it, you know, to see what it would do. Wow. And what um, brought them here? So he came, he came from Nova Scotia. That was Dan Gamble. And he came from Nova Scotia with the apple seed um, just, you know, to try something new, I guess. I don't exactly know what brought him. I know the Gebbers. Um, came during the gold rush. Uh, there was a gold, supposedly a gold rush up the Methow River. Mm-hmm. And so that brought them out here. And they homesteaded in Pateras, Washington, and they um, did potatoes. Mm-hmm. And then the Gambles had a lumber mill and a hotel. And um, they had the warehouse. And my great-grandma Martha married John Gebbers, and they um, started the apples. And uh, they had my grandpa, an only child, Dan Gebbers, and mm. he was the most, he was amazing, uh, to say the least. He was imaginative. He was so creative. He could take a piece of land and cultivate it and craft it into something so much better than it was. Mm. Uh, he taught us to be um, stewards of the land, mm. and he told us, you know, God made this land to be used, 
and you're going to use it for for what it's made mm-hmm. and um he he taught us to work very hard and he um he didn't let us he used to say milk toast he didn't let us be milk toast. Um, he'd come up and elbow you and right between the shoulder blades and tell you to stand up straight and have some backbone and, yeah. you know, take care of business. And that's mm. what we do. And um, I'm confident in my selling because because of what our ancestors did. Mm. Um, during the Depression, my great-grandpa and my grandpa walked the streets of Southern California selling our apples when other people were going broke. And yeah. it was a very bad time in our country. And to see them... And learn about them working hard during that is, you know, you can't you can't let them down, you know. And, you know, you got to keep the story going, you know. This, I said it once before, you know, this is more than just me. It's big picture and it's, yeah. you know, more generations. It's going to be here for a long time. And I think that my great-grandma instilled in my grandpa an ability to work and to work hard. And, um, well, it was survival for people in that era. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And my grandpa taught it to us and my grandma still to this day asked me what I've sold, how I'm selling. Uh, she counts the trucks. I go and take her to the coffee shop every day. And (laughs) as we drive down the highway, she counts the trucks at the warehouse. And if there isn't a lot there, she wants to know what Daniel and I are doing and why we aren't selling. (laughs) And it's, you know, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) And I don't want to let her down. And I better have my ducks in a row when she asks, you know, how I'm doing and what the price is and where the market's at and um, things like that. And she she keeps, you know, she keeps us in line and uh, she wants to know the work that's being done. And there's no, there's no slowing down. And so it's... um, she drives the spirit, I guess. Yeah. You know, she um, set the bar. She set the tone. You know, we don't, we don't get to relax. There's no relaxing in this business. <laughs> uh, there's yeah. always work to be done somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'm in sales now, and I have a nice, cushy, air-conditioned job. And I'd love to be out in the orchards working with everybody. And, you know, uh, we have Timberland also, and to be up in the mountains would be, you know, great. Yeah. But... Somebody has to sell it, and, you know, I love telling the story. I love being able to connect with my customers and tell them that I am the, the farmer, and I do grow that, and I know for a fact that it's going to be a good piece of fruit because I've, I've watched it or I've been there. Um, my dad is one of our head fieldmen, and um, he tells me all the time how to prune and how to thin and why we do it, and he tells me about sun expo- exposure and... Mm. when to irrigate and when I was little he used to take me out to change the water lines and it was just like the worst job ever and (laughs) just you have to go through and unplug the sprinklers and get shot in the face with water and um, it was a lot and very annoying and tedious but you know when you think big big picture it's it's very important and what what about your dad's heritage did he grow up in farming in Mexico? No. So um, he was from, he's from Mexico. Um, he started migrating up here when he was 15. He he had a, a drive and a willingness and he had to um, help provide for his family. His dad died at a very young age and there were 10 of them. So he had to help. Um, my grandma Francisca made tor- tortillas um, in their little village farming town. Yeah. What part of Mexico? He's from uh, Garcia. And um, so she made little tortillas just for the town and tried to sell those. 
Um, but 10 kids is a lot. Yeah. Um, my dad's twin brother uh, passed away when they were very little from dehydration, got sick, and he wow. got dehydrated. Um, same with one of his little sisters. And it's sad, you know, that wouldn't, you don't think that would happen in this day and age, but it, it does. And um, he brought his eight siblings up here and his mom. And my grandma lived with us for a little while. And she would um, make little dolls for me and little aprons and things like that. But he grew up very poor. Um, his toys were his toys were corn cob type dolls, and he whittled out little knives and things like that. And he was an ornery bugger, <laughs> and he drove my grandma nuts. But um, to to leave your family at fifteen, I can't imagine. Yeah, and to to truck this far you know to work and to take everything you've made back to your family yeah. that, that says a lot and people are still doing that they do that now and our employees are closer to me than you know family sometimes and yeah. um, being able to work in the in the warehouse and in the orchard I really get to know them and their families and um, we're a small town we're a small community and you really you become very close and you hear their stories and they don't want to live here. They want to, you know, make their money and go back. Mm -hmm. They have, some of them have families that they're leaving. Others have farms that they're leaving and they have to go and come back and work that when they get back down there. So and is this typically like the guest worker, the H2A program? Yep. The H2A uh, workers primarily come up here and, well, they come up here and they go back. Um, yeah. But yeah, they've, they've become very close with us and, um, one of my dad's guys, he's an H2A worker and he's just, my dad's just taking him under his wing. And I think he's actually closer to my dad than I am at times, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm not going to go feed my dad's chickens. So, <laughs> Well, your dad oh. <laughs> I mean, gets him because he yeah. lived that same life. He absolutely right? did. And he, he goes back every winter and it's like this sad ordeal. And, but you know, he's coming back in the spring and you know, there's something to look forward to, but those guys are like my brothers and They've watched me grow up and they've, you know, been through, been with me through all the struggles and um, our employees are just as important as our family here. And a lot of what we do isn't for us, but it's for our community and, um, you know, we're helping these families out and, you know, that's, that's a huge part of it. You talk about th with you through all the struggles, like what's that? Like what, what, what have been the hard times? What's, what's been difficult to make it through? Oh man, there was... Um, you know, a bad weather season, a bad crop, it just is, um, it takes a toll on you. And, you know, yeah. when you can't control anything, but those guys go out and they pick as hard as they can in the rain, in the snow, whatever the elements are, those freezing cold mornings, you know, you all struggle through that. And it says a lot about those people to work so hard. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they've, they've watched us go through markets that don't sell well when... Um, you know, you have to pay them, but they know how hard you're working to pay them. Yeah. Because, you know, if it's a bad market, there's not a lot. So, yeah, talking about workers, guest workers coming here from Mexico and other countries, that's been a controversial thing, as I'm sure you're aware. You know, and some people say, oh, that program's bad. It's exploiting people. That's not the story that you're sharing here, though. Where's the disconnect? Why? What's the truth about what goes on with workers and how they're treated? Well, from what I know and from what my family does, um, they come up here and they're they're very well taken care of. I mean, they have good housing. They have 
transportation to and from town. Um, helping with their groceries, whatever yeah. you know they need. Um, well, and your dad, do, having done the same thing, would know. Yeah. Like, is this good or bad? Right. Yeah, and he um, he can tell you the struggles. It's significantly better than when he did it. Um, he's yeah. shocked. He showed me one of our old um, picky cabins is out in one of our orchards, and it's just nothing now. Yeah. But when he was young, he lived there, and he said it was a bed with a pillow. A mattress and a blanket and mm-hmm. now you get dishes and yeah. very nice blankets and very nice <laughs> pillows and you're you know yeah. you're well taken care of and um back in the day my great grandma used to uh, ring the bell for the cookhouse and they used to take it out and my grandma um helped cook for all those guys yeah. and you know she can tell you about um feeding the workers and um you know lunch breaks out there with them and things like that and so yeah the the conditions are are good i would say good um i don't i don't know where that disconnect happens i think it's the image that's made mm. um these people want to come up here and work mm-hmm. it's not nobody's forcing them by any means um it's a it's a good way to make a living for them and one guy's made enough money to not have to keep coming he's made enough to take care of his own agave farm down in mexico awesome and he just said yeah i'm i'm done i can stay with my family and you know it's been fun coming up here he's been coming up here for the last five or six years and he's seen his family he calculated that he has come up here 128 months and in those 128 months he's seen his own family 30 months and i can't imagine that's hard doing that i can't imagine leaving my family for months on end at a time but like you're saying this this guy in particular that was an investment that he made and now he doesn't have to do it anymore he doesn't have to do it anymore he's figured things Mm. out and he can you know start his life back over in mexico and not have to worry about coming up here every year and being away from his family so good for him you know i pat him on the back for that that's that's a job well done there having seen all the things he's seen from both sides i'm thinking about your dad here Mm -hmm. what does he think about some of this you know labor controversies and some of these other things that go on right now he he would have a unique perspective on that you know we don't talk about that um he he just said it's not I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a struggle leaving your family and getting here. But yep. um, as far as, you know, like when you decide to, that this is what you want to do, he said it's like, yeah. you know, not a hard process. It's yeah. the way you go about it, I think. Yeah. And there's other stuff with labor too, you know, and like pay and overtime and how that's working. Mm-hmm. And there's, it seems like there's a lot of people wanting to build controversy or something. When I talk with average folks on the ground Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem to be the hair on fire kind of thing that you hear from people in the political realm yeah i'm probably not the best to answer that question i know there's a lot of you know there's regulations and there's um minimum wage requirements and that's just kind of what you're faced with in farming you are faced with a new challenge every day and that's just one you take on and you go forward you figure it out and you go forward um I've, I've heard the, the frustration um, is in sales. You have to take that into consideration. Um, oh. It's expensive to pay for labor. And if you're not selling your fruit for enough, that is going to affect the grower and how they pay their, their workers. Yeah. And but I would imagine your customers also want to know that they're that what they're yeah. buying from you is being produced ethically and people right. are being treated well and all that stuff. Right. 
So, um, yeah, I tell my customers all the time, our workers are good, they're happy, It's um, they enjoy harvest, it's what they came here to do. Yeah. On rainy days, they're mad, nobody <laughs> wants to sit out, um, <laughs> you know, so they're good, and um, I like, I don't like, I shouldn't say like, but it's it's good to be able to tell your customer, I can't meet you at that price because I have to, I have a, I have a bottom line I have to make and um Good i have to think about pay. labor i have yeah. to think about what the grower has put in um it's not free to grow that fruit yeah. and it takes a lot of hard work and um everything costs something and you have to take that into consideration and if you have to miss the sale because the price just isn't right that's just um a choice you make but yeah. you know the the customer doesn't get mad or it's you know it's not a bad thing they understand um, I think right now we all understand things are a lot more expensive than they were. Right. Um, and you know, yeah, three years ago I could sell you something for $15, but not now it's, mm-hmm. it's significantly higher and everybody understands that. And so it'd be nice if, um, you know, everybody wants something cheap, but you can't always, you know, make that work. And I can understand that I'm a consumer. I want to, you know, I want cheap fruit and, but I want quality fruit, you know, and I expect what I buy to be good. And if it's cheap and not good, then, you know, you're paying for what yeah. you want, I guess. Yeah. Get what you pay for. Yeah, exactly. And so um, you have to take that into consideration, I think, as a consumer, too. Did you always want to do this? Be connected to the farm? Yes, absolutely. I knew at a very young age that I wanted to do this. When we were little, um, we called my grandma's house the big house. And at that time, our orchard office was there. It was attached to her house. And so our parents, I lived there, but um, not with my grandma. We lived just behind her. But um, all of my cousins and everybody would end up at the big house. And after school, we would ride bikes around those. Before, there was this orchard all around her house. Um, There's not now. It's a warehouse. But um, we would ride our bikes around those orchards, and we would, you know, call each other on the walkie-talkie radio. (laughs) We've got a pipe broke. And out at crazy rapids or you know we were just rambling different orchard names off and there's a broken pipe or there's frost damage or whatever and we were calling each other on the radios and things like that or uh, we would go into the office and we would play under under our parents desks (laughs) and we would go through the garbage Um, I would sit under my aunt's garbage and go through it in the long rolls of like calculator tape Yep. We would take out and play with it. We were paying the bills and <laughs> paying so-and-so and this and that and cutting payroll checks and it was payday or whatever. And so, yeah, I would say I knew at a young age I was coming home. I knew what I, w- I wanted to do. It was just um, figuring out how I was going to best contribute. Um, yeah. It's definitely taken my cousins um, to help me figure that out. Mm. Uh, starting in the shipping office was a very good place to start. Um, after college, of course, you know, coming out of college, I wanted to be a boss and start at the top and start in the <laughs> orchard and know I wasn't going to work in the office and I didn't want to be, you know, stuck to a desk or anything like that. Yep. But that changed pretty quickly. You know, you get humbled pretty fast and, uh, the shipping office was a good place to start. I learned, you know, from the bottom, they took me out and I had to work for a month on every packing line. And so I had to sort and I had to pack um i had to stack boxes um so you've seen every i've seen it all i've done it all um i know the struggles i know when employees get mad and frustrated with the job i can understand it is 
a lot sometimes. And um, I think it I think it takes that to really understand what what we're doing big picture and why we do it. Yeah. I mean, I have a whole new appreciation for that packed box after watching it sort. The sorting totally. line doesn't stop in the level of dizzy is like none other. And doing that all day, every day, it can take a toll on you. And those those ladies have it cut out. But those our packing facilities are so advanced now. When I was little, it was packed with like hundreds of people sorting and packing and heisters and all of that. Now it's very sophisticated. We have infrared lighting to see the inside of the fruit. And where there used to be 50 sorters, there's maybe five or six. Wow. And where there used to be a hundred people packing, there's maybe 50, maybe 30 or something like that. Mm. And, um, there's machines now that stack the boxes and put them on a pallet and it's very advanced and it's, it's neat to see how it's, how it's come along. Um, and it's just going to get better. And I'm excited for that. Um, you know, your, your fruit quality is going to get better. Their growing practices are always improving and always changing. And, um, my cousin's very intelligent and he's, he's got it very dialed in on the best way to grow. And it's all, it all comes back to that confidence and, and selling. It's interesting. You said you wanted to start or, or wanted to be in the field, but you got to start in the office and work your way yep. up the chain. A lot of people would think it's the other way <laughs> that you want to start in the field and work your way up to working in the office. Yep. And you're saying you see it the opposite of that. Yeah. I want to be in the field. <laughs> it's so a- what, what does it take to get there? I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's nice being in a nice air-conditioned office when it's 100 degrees and everybody else is out in the field. Um, but you also kind of feel like you're missing out. Um, I love I love being able to go to the orchard and see the fruit being picked and then come back to my sales desk and send pictures or call my buyer and say, you know what, we're picking premium Honeycrisp right now like I'm I'm looking at them I will send you these apples right now you will get them tomorrow and you know to be able to sell with that kind of confidence um, I called my one of my customers from our orchard one time and told him I've got premium Honeycrisp they're literally in the bin the guy is picking them right now (laughs) he's ensuring that they are not bruised (laughs) and my customer was like wow you know that's pretty neat that you can call me from the orchard and tell me that and so it's, it's cool being able to go from the desk to the field and back and, you know, be able to report with confidence that the fruit is good and we're, we're doing really well. Well, and you see that part of the food system that I think the fewest people see, which is like the wholesale right. level, right? Because I think everybody, for the most part, sees like the retail level. They, right. they know what's in the grocery store. People, you know, they may have an idea, they may not, of what happens on the growing end of it. Mm -hmm. And maybe even they've gardened a little bit or something. They have some, but what, it's kind of this mystery of what happens between growing it and getting it to the grocery store. From your experience being in that world now with your current role, what would you say people don't understand or need to understand about how that part of our food system works? I would say... um Maybe the disconnect is that as a farmer, as a grower, um, you're, you're always trying to grow the best piece of fruit possible. And you want to be able to satisfy, you know, every market level. Um, wholesale, you really don't know exactly where it's going to go. It could go to a grocery store. It could go to a restaurant, school, a jail. It could really go anywhere. Um, I can sell with confidence knowing it can, it can be put anywhere. Yeah. It's not... 
I don't sell specifically for a school. Um, no, because I want I want my customer to know that they can send it wherever they need yeah. to. Um, you know, like where they're going to get the best price for it. Yeah, I think some people feel that whole part of the food system is kind of maybe even a little bit scary because it's a mystery and you can't see it. So, like, what what are they doing? to our food you know or where does it go and yeah. wh- why does it happen why are there all these logistics and warehouses mm-hmm. and trucks and then other warehouses yeah. and but and you know direct to consumer stuff is cool yep. but for the most you know for the food that most of the millions hundreds of millions of people in this country eat yeah. like that's just not realistic yeah right so that you probably like you described you deal with logistics quite a bit in mm-hmm. your job yeah there's um that's a huge part uh, of what we do. I would say um, if you're a consumer and you're wondering where's my f- food coming from, how is it coming to me or how am I getting it, it's coming from a farmer, number one. Mm-hmm. It is coming from somebody who grow is growing it passionately. You know, we want to grow good, solid fruit for the consumer. They're our number one priority. Um, we wouldn't have anything if we didn't have a an in consumer and yeah. so i can i can tell you it's coming from somebody who who wants you to enjoy that piece of fruit um we have joy in what we do um is every day the best no um is it worth it absolutely yeah. um it's a joy to be able to work with my entire family and to see everybody every day and um to know that we are using the best growing practices possible um as a consumer you should feel good about what you're eating um Mm. we are taking precautions extra precautions to get it to you safely and timely um you know we make sure our drivers are rested and um paid you know they want paid for what they do it's a lot of work to drive across the country and um, yeah, a lot of people don't think about that part. It takes truck drivers to get yeah. food from the farm to you. And we had a, a little truck shortage there last winter, and it was really something to uh, see. Without a truck driver, I can't get my fruit to West Virginia. <laughs> yeah. And West Virginia is very far away when you start trying to find somebody or anybody to take it. Yeah. And um, without those truck drivers, you really are... And, you know, it'll loss. I mean, you have to get it there yeah. somehow. And we use planes, trains, trucks, you name it, to get it there. And um, we we work hard to make all of the pieces of the puzzle fit. Um, we ensure we grow a good piece of fruit. We ensure that it's kept cold and, um, you know, packed properly to be shipped out. Um, there's state regulations for trucks and things like that that, you know, ensure they're resting and sleeping and you know, we follow all of those um, types of rules. And then we know when it gets to our cons- our customer that it's going to be um, stored in their facilities well also. Um, you can't just, you know, ship something willy-nilly and yeah. hope that they store it in a yeah, cold could, place. You, you could, they could mess up all of the hard work that yeah. you've done to get um, it to that place. When I went down to the, to, to the Dominican Republic, one of the main things my buyer showed me was his cold facility because a lot of um, a lot of buyers down there just store on the street or yeah. in like a like a truck, but it's not refrigerated or anything like right. that. And my customer was very very determined to show me he had a cold room and that he could store this well and properly, and that it it would you know last the 
month or two that it needed to until the next shipment would get down there. And so it's it's those kinds of things that um, you keep in mind and you you work uh, hard to to make sure they're the rules are kept, I guess, you know, everybody's well taken care of. And, um, I know that that end consumer is getting a piece of fruit that I have worked hard to help grow, pack and ship. And I know that at the end, at the end customer is getting a good piece of fruit. So what's your dream? Where do you want to end up with all of this? Oh, that's a good question. I would say my dream is to see my family's business go on. Um, we're in our fifth generation and I expect to see it go for generations past. Um, the next group is already here and working and, um, they're involved just like we were growing up. Um, they understand the orchard life. They understand, you know, you don't have a summer break. There's no such thing as that. And, um, my dream is to, to see it keep going, to see my great grandma's vision lived out. Um, she had a vision to see this go beyond her. My grandpa had that same vision um, to see it, you know, see it um, evolve and um, continue for the next generation and the next one. And so we're working hard to do that. And I hope that we have taught the next group how good this can be. It's a struggle. It's hard, but it is good and it is rewarding. And the Lord has blessed us tenfold in what we get to do every day. And it's, it's a joy to do it. And I love it. And I can't imagine doing anything different. Thank you so much for sharing all of this detail and, yeah. and history and like your story, which all started with a you know the classic uh, farm on farm romance. I guess so. With your parents, <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> and thanks for having me here too. Yeah, thank you, and it's a it's a pleasure to be able to share our story and to get it out there. And I hope people can appreciate it and you know know that their fruit their fruit is coming from people that really love what they do. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 